In retaliation for slapping Chris Rock at the Oscars telecast a few weeks ago, the Motion Picture Academy of Arts and Sciences has banned Will Smith from attending the Oscars for the next 10 years. That's right, for the next decade, Will Smith will have to watch from home. Which is really good for the Oscars because they need all the viewers they can get. CNN Plus, the new premium news service from CNN, has crashed and burned after launching less than a month ago. CNN Plus is drawing in less than 2% of the average daily viewers that the original CNN did. On the bright side, now when you don't watch CNN, you're saving $7.99 a month. Twitter's board of directors is declining to accept Elon Musk's offer to buy the company, an offer he made last Wednesday evening. This came as a slight surprise as Musk offered $41 billion, about 30% more than the company is even worth. He also offered to purchase TikTok at 30% more than it was worth, which was $17.12. And Jen Psaki is reportedly leaving her role as the White House spokesperson after a tumultuous year of spinning all national news as good for President Biden and blaming Republicans for every problem. She's been hired to host a show on MSNBC. She's excited for this new endeavor in which she's going to host her own show, where she spins all national news as good for President Biden and blames Republicans for every problem. But at least now she doesn't have to pretend to like Kamala. And that last part is actually not fake news. This is Luke Taylor, and welcome to a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast. Welcome to Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast where we dismantle the media misinformation that floods our news feeds all week long. The media tries to mislead you literally every day. Each episode of this podcast will leave you more equipped to correctly interpret the news and spot their deception quicker than before. This is Luke Taylor, an austere religious scholar, who will be your host in this roundup of the past week of Fake News. Well, we are in an election year now, and the primary votes draw ever closer and you can call me cynical, but when I read it, headlines about anything regarding the redistricting, the gerrymandering, the election shenanigans that go on every few years, I, I don't even know what to believe is true. I know that both sides do it. Both sides challenge each other doing it. I'm sure there's no angels in those rooms when they're redrawing the election maps. But there was this news story out about Iowa a few days ago. Uh, let me just read the headline here. This is from WZIM News. It says, Iowa Democrat Finkenauer looking to challenge... Senator Chuck Grassley knocked off U.S. Senate primary ballot. The article says that a state court's judge has ruled that Abby Finkenauer cannot appear on the June 7th Iowa primary ballot for U.S. Senate because she didn't gather enough petition signatures, potentially knocking off the candidate that was considered by many to be the party's best chance to unseat Republican U.S. Senator Charles Grassley. And so as the story goes, um, Finkenauer, she needed to get 5,000 signatures on a petition in order to appear on the ballot. That's the standard for Iowa. And she got rejected because there were three names on the petition that did not contain dates next to the signatures. And so that was why they threw out her whole, the whole possibility that she could even appear on the ballot, apparently. Um, I think that sounds a little petty. I'm a little suspicious about that. It sounds right there like the Republicans are kind of up to shenanigans over there. Uh, according to the Democrats in Iowa, and I would say this sounds true, that in the past, the, the they have not always been so persnickety about these rules. And then all of a sudden, when there's an opportunity to boot this woman off the ballot, suddenly they're becoming these hardliners about the law. So it sounds a little bit like shenanigans to me. On the other hand, I would also say I'm a cynic about this stuff because the news lies so often. There could be a whole other Republican side to the story 
that this article isn't even giving us. I would not be surprised. So I don't really know what's going on there. We see this stuff constantly in election years when they're talking about redrawing the district maps and gerrymandering and all that. Both sides do it. Both sides complain about the other side doing it. Those articles don't even really mean anything to me anymore. Here's the aspect of the story that jumped out to me, though. Okay, so it goes on to say in the article that Chuck Grassley, he's the longstanding senator up there. Um, he's pretty well positioned to keep his seat. Iowa is a solid red state. Grassley is a Republican. So they said, and this is a good year for Republicans. He has like a 17 point lead right now. So no matter who the Democratic nominee ends up being, this is one of those races that it's probably, it's not really going to matter in the long run, no matter who's running against him. Here is the sentence of the article, though. This is what really stood out to me. Okay, it says, Federal fundraising data and statewide polling indicate that Grassley, who turns 89 in September, is well positioned to retain the seat that he has held since 1991 or since 1981 for another six years. <laughs> Chuck Grassley is 88. That is what jumped out at me. He is 88 years old. 88. He will be 89 by the time the election hits in November. And what is he trying to do right now? He's trying to win a Senate seat that's on a six-year term. Now, I'm sorry, but that is just obscene. Okay? To be 89, 89 years old, and running for office. Like, I'm not saying it should be illegal. I'm just saying it's stupid. Now, this is a solid red state. There's, you know, dozens of Republicans there in Iowa who could win this thing handily. So I just read that. I'm like, why is he doing this? I mean, I like Chuck Grassley. Um, I mostly know him from the Kavanaugh hearings a few years ago. I thought he did a good job. He seems he seems mentally kind of sharp. So despite his age, I mean, I will say he seems mentally sharp. I agree with his politics. But what is his plan? Does he want to die in office? <laughs> did you know that is what is most likely to happen? I'm not even kidding. I looked up the life expectancy statistics um, this past week. And let me go into those for a minute. I thought it was actually kind of fascinating. I got a little swept up in this. SSA.gov, it has a whole chart on this. That's the Social Security Administration website. And they have this whole chart on there. It says, it like takes what the, the national um, life expectancy is, okay? And it says, if this is your age right now, then this is how long you can expect to live. And they give it to you based on the statistics and data. It gives you the probability of death for the next year. And that's usually a low number, unless you're just like very, very old. That's usually a pretty low number. So if you're like zero, okay, if you were born this year, you have a life expectancy of 76.23 years, okay? Or 81 years if you're female. I was looking at the male side of the chart today. So like I'm 32. It'll actually tell me on there, my life expectancy from right now is that I will live for 46 more years if I'm 32 right now. The average 32-year-old right now will live to age 78. The likelihood that I would die in the next year, it was super, it was like one-tenth of one percent, very low, okay? And that stays pretty low till you get advanced in age. So if you look at someone who is 89, all right, as Chuck Grassley will be in November, do you want to know what the average 89-year-old's lifespan is from this point on? 4.45 more years. Okay? That means the majority of people who are 89 right now, they will die within five years. Of, of the people, all of the people in the United States who are 89 right now, most of them will not be alive five years from now. If you're still alive five years from now, if you're 89 and you're still alive in five years, you have beat the odds. 
So do you wanna know what that means for Chuck Grassley? He's running for a seat in Congress, like a high stress, important job, okay? One of the leaders of the country running for a seat. And statistically speaking, he will not even survive for the whole term. Now, I'm not trying to insult him by saying that. I think he even looks in good health for an 89-year-old. I was a little surprised to hear how old he was when I read the article. He doesn't even he, does, he doesn't actually seem that old. But math is math. Okay? These are the stats. Most likely he will pass away before he even gets to the end of his term. Just based on the statistical data. So why is he even running? I mean, it I it's just it's disgusting to me. Okay? Do you really want to die in office? Like, are you, are you that desperate to avoid Iowa that you want to live in D.C. till the day you die? And then I found out Chuck Grassley's not even the oldest senator right now. Okay? Um, there's, a, in fact, a senator planning to run again who's even older than Chuck Grassley. Diane Feinstein out in California. And she was the subject of an investigative news story recently. She's running for re-election this year. Or no, no, sorry. She's running for re-election in two years. In, in 2024. She is going to be 89 this year. And she has already filed the paperwork to run again when I guess she'll be 91 years old. She's already filed the paperwork to run again for 2024. And there was a news story this past week that it's, they, were, they were not undercover. They were um, anonymous. Anonymous sources. Multiple D.C. Congress people we're claiming, though, that she has, she is losing her mind, that she's too old and needs to be removed from office. So from the San Francisco Chronicle, it says colleagues worry that Dianne Feinstein is now mentally unfit to serve, citing her recent interactions. And the story goes, when a California Democrat in Congress recently engaged in an extended conversation with Senator Dianne Feinstein, they prepared for a rigorous policy discussion like they had had with her many times over the past 15 years. Instead, the lawmaker said... They had to reintroduce themselves to Feinstein multiple times during an interaction that lasted several hours. The article later says four U.S. senators, including three Democrats, as well as three former Feinstein staffers and the California Democratic member of Congress, told the Chronicle in recent interviews that her memory is rapidly deteriorating. They said it appears she can no longer fulfill her job duties without her staff doing much of the work required to represent the nearly 40 million people of California. So... This this woman is going to be 89 this year. She's just a little bit older, less than a year older than Chuck Grassley, who's also running for re-election this year. She wants to run again in 2024 when she's going to be in her 90s. What is going on with these politicians? Did you know right now the the current Congress is the oldest Congress that we've ever had? The average age. The average age in the Senate is like 64. It's the oldest it's ever been. I mean, what has happened? Like, if you go back 20 years ago, it's like it's all the same people in Congress today who were there two decades ago. What is going <laughs> Do we really need a reminder of what happens whenever you elect an old person to Congress? This would be a really good time to pause for a message from our own president. America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was in the foot... Him, uh, foot, foot excuse me, the foothills of the Himalayas with Xi Jinping, traveling with him. I guess we traveled 17,000 miles when I was vice president. I don't know that for a fact. Yeah, President Biden is 79. And this is how he talks. 
79. I mean, that actually seems young compared to Chuck Grassley or Dianne Feinstein. Chuck Grassley's going to be 89 this year. Joe Biden is going to, he's 79. He will turn 80 by the end of the year if he's still president by then. We're about to get our first ever octogenarian president this year. Although my prediction is that he won't make it that long. That's my prediction I made last year. I know the clock's running out on that. We're, we're, here, we're here in April. And I actually think by the end of this year, Kamala will be president. But we'll keep watching on that. I'm standing by that for now, though. But still, if he makes it through November, we'll have the first octogenarian president. And that's how it goes, guys. This is how it goes. This is what happens when you elect someone that age, that elderly, to an important political position. You know what? So, um, Bill Clinton today, you're gonna, this might blow your mind. Today, Bill Clinton, who was president in the 90s, he was elected in 1992, okay? Today, Bill Clinton is 75 years old. He is 75. He was elected president over 20 years ago. Actually, 30 years ago this year. He was elected president 30 years ago this year. And to this day, he is still younger than the current president of the United States. Because he is 75 and Joe Biden is 79. But Bill Clinton was president 30 years ago. And even to this day, Bill Clinton is younger than our current president. I don't know when that's going to stop shocking me. It still hasn't. So, okay. So that's our first story really for the day, though. Just that stuff going on in in uh, Iowa. And could be election shenanigans. I really don't know. A lot of that stuff's over my head. But I do know both sides try to pull tricks on each other. So that that's going on up in Iowa. The, um, which I actually just drove through Iowa a few months ago. Well, it was back in August. So last year I drove through the whole state, north to south. And um, I didn't even really stop. It's, a, it's not very long to go through Iowa. You can kind of just fly through the state pretty quick. I stopped at a subway. I think that was the only time I stopped in Iowa. I stopped at a subway for lunch. I think I stopped at, it's called like Spring City. I stopped at the Spring City subway and I got to talking. Now, there were some really kind people out there. I did enjoy the people I met at that one place I stopped in Iowa. But there, I, I did kind of ruin Iowa for somebody. <laughs> so I was talking to, talking to a couple out there. It's an older couple. And um, they were asking where I was from and, and all that. So we got to talking and I said, here's something I've always wondered about Iowa. I said, do you ever feel like the politicians just kind of use you and then forget about you? Because so if, you know, if you pay attention to politics, you know, the first primaries, every time there's like the primaries for president, the first one always is held in Iowa for whatever reason. That just seems to be the theme. It's always in Iowa first. There's like a few states, I think like New Hampshire and South Carolina. There's some states that just always get up there first. And Iowa is like always the first one. That's where they hold their first primary when they're looking for president. So a lot of the candidates spend the first few months of their campaigns just hitting Iowa really hard, going there and meeting and greeting all the people in Iowa. And then as soon as, you know, as soon as the election happens in Iowa, then they're off to the next state. And then they're like in another state for a week for the next primary. And then they're off to another state for a week for the next primary. And that's just like, it, they, so they always spend the first few months in Iowa and then Boom, boom, boom. They're off to the rest of the country and they never talk about Iowa. <laughs> they, talk, they talk all about how, how much they love Iowa for those first few months and how great the people of Iowa are and, they'll, and how they want to fix all of Iowa's problems. And then they never talk about Iowa again. They get elected president and they'll never go back to Iowa for the whole presidency. So 
Anyway, I just was talking to an old lady about that. I was like, do you ever feel like, you know, you guys are such an important state for the election season, but then as soon as the primary is done, they just forget all about Iowa after that. And I asked her that and she's like, well, I never thought about that before, but you have a, you make a good point. <laughs> so I kind of, <laughs> I kind of ruined Iowa for her. Sorry about that. Other than that, I really, I did enjoy the state for my, my little short time in it. I hadn't been there since, since like the nineties. I had not driven through Iowa since the nineties. So I got to drive through Iowa last year and it was, um, well, all I can really comment on was the subway and the nice people. Okay. Let's go on to the next story. Um, this past week, there was a shooting at like a subway station in New York. And there were like dozens of people shot in this shooting. And, uh, I don't think anyone actually died. I, I haven't heard that anyone died. I could be wrong about that, but I don't think I heard that anyone died. It was just a lot of people were shot and the guy got away and they caught him a few days later. And then the media kind of stopped talking about it. And here's why, because the guy they caught, it turned out he was a black supremacist. Okay. Uh, and as soon as they caught him, the media just kind of dropped the story. This happened like on Monday. They caught him by Wednesday. And by Friday, nobody was talking about this story. And really by Thursday, as soon as it came out that this guy was this, this black supremacist and he was talking about shooting up a bunch of white people uh, and how white people need to die and how white people are causing all these problems for black people, as soon as his agenda was out in the open, the media just dropped this story like a hot potato. And the contrast there would be if this was a white guy. And his even if his motivations had nothing to do with his race. But if it had been a white guy, we'd be hearing, we'd be right now a week later talking about how dangerous white nationalists, white supremacist terrorists are running amok in our streets. You know, that would be the news. They'd still be talking about it. They still talk about white supremacy shootings and stuff like that that happened years ago. They still talk about them as if they're current for today. But since this was a black dude who is a black supremacist, and that tied into his motive. I mean, he was mentally unhinged. That I'm, I th- that's a part of it too. But he, since he was mentally unhinged and since he was a black dude, they're just not talking about it anymore. Um, and I want to tell you this. I knew it was going to be a black dude from the moment it was first reported. And I'll tell you how. Because even the first day when they weren't really talking about the race. Okay. you the From the very beginning, when this news came out, you hear there's a mass shooting in a busy city, okay? And early reports said there was an explosion too. I don't know if that was, I never heard any more about the explosion, but early report, reports said there was an explosion on the subway. Um, when you hear that kind of thing, it sounds like, you know, Muslim terrorism, um, which which hasn't really been in the news much for years that that's happened. But I mean, it ha- occasionally, so it sounded at first like if there was an explosion in this mass shooting in a big city, it sounds like Muslim terrorism. But when CNN first reported the story, they explicitly said right off the bat that this was not terrorism. You know, it's suspicious because why even say that that early? Like, why even say right off the bat? And we know this wasn't a terrorist attack. Like, why is that one of the first headlines that I got about it on my phone? I didn't screenshot it, so I can't tell you exactly what the headline said. But it said right in the headline from a CNN from my CNN app, which I use to get, you know, fake news for this podcast. They said right off the bat that this was not being investigated as a terrorist attack. So that automatically told me two things. One, it told me it couldn't have been a Muslim who did it because then you wouldn't just automatically deny that. If it was a Muslim, you couldn't just automatically deny that it was terrorism. And that also told me that it was not a white guy because we know that the news is desperate to label white people as terrorists. 
So, the, you know, the liberal media thinks it's not fair that there's not as many white people who are considered terrorists as there are other races. So they wouldn't have immediately said it was not an act of terrorism if it were a white man who did it. That indicated to me that this was probably a black guy who did it. And then it turned out that that was right. Um, that it was actually not just a black guy. He was a black supremacist and he was a communist and he had clearly bought into this whole critical race theory narrative that white people are out to kill black people, that the whole country's white supremacist. You know, that is a false narrative, but that is something that a lot of people are pushing right now. And that whole narrative, it triggered this nutcase to want to go out and shoot dozens of people. And the media tried to keep it hush-hush that, that a black man did the shooting for a few days. You know, they, they early on, they put out a story with the man's, they put his age and his weight and his height, but they did not mention that he was black. <laughs> Like they were like, you need to catch this guy, okay? Be on the lookout for him. He's this he, he's this old, and he weighs this much, and he's this tall. But they didn't mention that he was a black dude. <laughs> so it took them a few days to finally catch the guy. But then they did, and then the story disappeared. And, and so I'm just pointing out here, you can extrapolate a lot of details based on what they don't tell you, okay? If they don't say the, per- the race of the person in a news story in 2022... Frankly, that's probably that probably means it's a black person and they want to hide that. Okay, like the the driver in Waukesha last November that murdered several people running them down with a car. Totally dropped that story like within a week. If it had been a white guy, that would have that would have been they'd still be talking about it. Um, The AOC would still be going on Twitter or Instagram live to talk about how, you know, he ran over her, too. (laughs) If it had been a white guy who was a driver. But since it was a black guy, they don't even want to talk about it. There's a guy who rammed his car into the Capitol and killed Capitol police. And he was, he was either a Muslim or a black supremacist or both. I don't know. He killed the Capitol policeman last year, ramming his car into a barricade. They don't talk about that. They want to talk about the January 6th person who ran people who ran into the Capitol. They don't talk about that guy. There is a guy who just in this past week, he ran down two Jews and then he stabbed a third one. It like in the back. Did you hear about that? Probably not, but you would have if there had been a white man who did it, but it was a black guy who did it, so they are not talking about that. So that you can extrapolate a lot of clues if you're wanting to, you know, if you're trying to figure it out. You can extrapolate a lot of data based on what they don't tell you. Okay, next, um, since we're on the subject of race, let's talk about what's racist for this week. Well, our first one here comes from KUOW.org. It's stop saying marijuana. Lawmakers say it's racist. So saying marijuana is now racist. Washington State Governor Jay Inslee recently signed a bill striking the word marijuana from the text of all state law. The measure says to use the word cannabis instead. The effort in Washington is part of a national movement to retire the word. Uh, This is just part of what the Democrats do this every few years. They change the language that we use to talk about something. They're just always trying to change the language, uh, which is literally what happens in 1984. They were always changing the dictionary to say, here's the new lingo that you use. That's what Democrats do all the time. Now they're saying to call marijuana marijuana, that that's somehow racist. I don't know. I don't even know what the point of of that is, but except that they always like to change the words. Uh, Another thing here, Um, hymns are racist. So we recently had the time of Easter and some churches during that time 
uh, observe a practice called Lent, where you fast from something for, I think, 40 days leading up to Easter. A Chicago church decided to fast from whiteness. And one of the ways that they did that was they did not do any hymns that were written by white people. They said, in our worship services throughout Lent, we will not be using any music or liturgy written or composed by white people, according to the website for First United Church of Oak Park. <laughs> and so hymns can be racist now. Um, here's here's an interesting story from the Los Angeles Times. Let me start with October 2017, they reported that knowingly exposing others to HIV will no longer be a felony in California, okay? So if you back in 2017, it used to be that if you had AIDS, that you were legally required to disclose this to people before having sexual relations with them. And this was considered unfair to the gay community. <laughs> so, so they changed the law to where now you can infect people with AIDS knowingly and like that you know, but the other person doesn't know. And you're totally fine to do that now um, because they changed the laws over there. Well, today it's being reported that the STDs in LA County are skyrocketing. And the reason for this is racism. So STDs are, are racist now. And so I know one of those is about AIDS and the other one's about STDs, but I just the ideas there kind of go together. That makes it more funny. So, but that's the real headline from the LA Times. STDs in LA County are skyrocketing. Officials think racism and stigma may be to blame. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, this this past weekend was, as I said, it's Easter weekend. And America Magazine wants you to know on Easter weekend that the book of John in the Bible is now racist. The gospel of John has been used to ju justify anti-Semitism. So we should stop reading it on Good Friday. There you go from America Magazine. That was what they tweeted out. The um, anti, the, uh, what's it called? It's the ADL. It's the Anti-Defamation Anti League. I believe that's what that stands for. The Anti-Defamation League. And they have this website, kind of like the Southern Poverty Law Center. They want to just tell everybody, hey, these are the, here's the new words you're supposed to use. These are the things you're not supposed to say. You know, every they're, they're always coming out with all these things that they're declaring racist or whatever. Well, they would like you to know what's racist now. The number 83 is racist. The number 83. It says 83 is a white supremacist numeric symbol that stands for Hail Christ. The eighth letter of the alphabet is H and the third letter is C. Thus 83 is HC. So 83 is a racist number now. I'm not supposed to use the number 83. It's white supremacy. <laughs> so there you go. Now you're all caught up on what's racist for this week. Everything is racist. Well, let's go back to the New York events for a few minutes. Here's the question I also want to ask about that New York story, about the shooter up there, the, the black supremacist who shot up the subway. This guy was actually, he was on an FBI watch list. Why is the FBI not catching these guys? I, I'll tell you why. I'm going to give you the answer. They're not catching these guys because they're out investigating the parents who go to school board meetings, labeling them domestic terrorists. They're also going around spying on white supremacy rallies and participating in them and, frankly, I think starting some of them to make it look like white supremacy is an actual problem. But did you hear also this week about the court case where there were these guys who supposedly they were plotting to kidnap and kill the governor of Michigan, which is Gretchen Whitmer? And Gretchen Whitmer, this was back in 2020, where she was the lockdown queen. Um, she made it impossible 
to even like have a garden at your house and grow your own fruits and vegetables during the lockdown. She was the the one governor who went the most overboard on these restrictions during the lockdown time. And she got she got her restrictions slapped down, you know, by the Supreme Courts because they were going overboard. Even for the Democrats, they're going overboard. But why was she acting like that? Why was she going so strict on the lockdown stuff? Well, the answer is because she's evil, <laughs> quite frankly. She wants you to depend on the government. Doesn't want you to depend on yourself. We won't even let you have a garden. She's just flat out evil. She literally sleeps with a pillow. She sleeps on a pillow with Anthony Fauci's face imprinted on it. She prays to a candle of Stacey Abrams. That stuff is not fake news, guys. Go Google it, okay? That's not even a joke. Go Google that if you don't believe me. And she's just a total nut job. So there's this story back in 2020. There were a group of guys. There are these radical nationalists, anti-lockdown protesters. And, and they got caught by the FBI. As they were preparing to kidnap Whitmer and kill her. So, okay, fine. Good thing that the FBI caught him before they did it. But how did they catch these guys? Turns out some of the guys were FBI agents who were undercover. And not only that, they enticed these men into the kidnapping plot. So <laughs> four of them had their trials conclude about a week ago. And the outcome was that two of them were found not guilty. And the other two got a mistrial because the jury couldn't decide if they were guilty. So apparently this was not a serious plot, like as it was originally reported. Um, how were the guys going to kidnap and kill her? They all had their own plan. There was no like master plot. It was just something these guys got together and talked about and something that, that the FBI undercover people, they instigated. So that, like the, that's why two of them were found not guilty because it turned out that the FBI had like, it was basically entrapment. They had enticed these men into this evil plan, but it was instigated by the FBI. So all that stuff that you heard about that they were planning this, a lot of it was just fake news. This was some, some of this was an FBI plot. Um, remember a few months back, there was this like Muslim terrorist who took a Jewish synagogue hostage in Texas and that this guy had made it from like England and, uh, the, and the FBI wasn't watching him or they knew about him, but they weren't pick, they weren't scooping him up. So it begs the question, why is the FBI not catching guys like that? Why aren't they scooping up guys like the man in New York who shot up the subway this week? It's because they're spending all their time trying to trap these white conservatives at school board meetings or, or in these conspiracies, and they're not, they're not doing their actual job of defending the country. It's like they're literally causing more problems than what they're stopping. So as I've been saying all along, disband the FBI. It is time to disband the FBI. Okay, we're going to pause here for our Noah Get the Boat segment. Um, <laughs> I got to I got to play you this clip of a girl on TikTok. And this girl, I know you can't see it. She's pretty young, looks to be like early 20s, and she's having a meltdown over the crickets that are in her house. So, I keep getting um crickets in my house. I don't know why. I've never had a cricket problem before, but I I looked it up and apparently it's it's really bad luck to kick them out of your house. Like you're not supposed to kick them out of your house, but like, what am I supposed to do? Like let you stay here? Now there's like 36 crickets running around because I did kick out one. And let me tell you, I had a really, really horrible week after that. And now they're just running around. And I'm like, please move. I just want to make a piece of toast and you're in my way. And I open a cabinet and it's just like, oh, hey, cricket that I can't kick out of my house. Can you please just leave? 
I don't want to kick you out. I just want to ask you nicely to leave. My house is just infested with crickets. <laughs> There's nothing I can do about it. I just need to point out again, um, TikTok is causing mental illness in this country. So this clip came from TikTok. And TikTok has this thing. Social media kind of has this thing. But it's a lot on TikTok where women get in their cars. They go to a room of their house. And they cry into the camera about something. And a lot of times it's something stupid. But they can't have their little meltdown in private. <laughs> behind closed doors where no one's ever going to hear about it. They have to do it on a camera for the world to see. They can't handle the world. And they want to share that with the rest of the world. Um, I think literally TikTok is causing mental illness in this country. And I think that's part of why China has wanted, wanted it to flood this country. Um, but what's it doing to young people? Well, they can't discern good information from bad information anymore. And I don't blame them for that. I personally have trouble knowing what's real. There's so much lying going on that now young people, they look up how to get rid of crickets and they hear that it's bad luck. So they just decide to live with the crickets. I mean, the, people don't know how to tell what's real and what's fake anymore. Uh, we have an information crisis. We have a TikTok crisis. Social media in general, it's been bad for many people's brains. But I would say TikTok in particular has taken it to a higher level. Uh, teenagers and children, they're constantly exposed to all the, the craziest gender ideology, harmful information about mental illness. It's causing young people to become gender confused and to literally contract mental problems. I'm not saying the mental problems aren't real. I think they are very real. But I'm saying they do not occur naturally. They occur because people watch some of these videos on social media and they get their brains rewired. I, I hear about in middle schools. Um, well, let me start with what happens on social media. People go on social media and talk about their mental problems. Um, stuff like Tourette's, where they have like tics or jerking motions and stuff like that. And there's been a phenomenon of young people in like middle school age where they watch people talking about their Tourette's syndrome or people talking about their um, schizophrenia and multiple personality disorders. And that this causes people in middle school to start exhibiting these same problems, these same tendencies. And I'm not saying it's not real. I'm not saying they're faking it. Like they literally contract Tourette's from watching people with it on TikTok. They get TikTok ticks. Not even joking. This has been happening. There, you can look this up. So I don't say it's fake. It's real, but it's not occurring naturally. It's 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 it genetically engineered through these apps. I've been seeing this question asked a lot. Like people will ask, "Hey, how do I blah blah blah?" I find it really hard to concentrate. You know, like they'll say, um, "Like I'm a pastor, so I'll I'll see this question a lot." People will be doing a Q and A with like, "I'll watch a video," and they'll they'll say, "I want to read my Bible more." but I just find it really hard to focus. I try to pray more, but I just find it really hard to focus. And there's, you know, people give tips on stuff like this. They'll say, just keep trying, don't give up. But the real problem is that, the, like the source of the focus, it's that the cell phones have rewired our brains. The, the, the cell phone usage has caused people nowadays to not be able to concentrate on it. It's like we all have ADHD. Um, so if you want to get better at focusing, to be able to focus on tasks or, or whatever you're doing, you need to rewire your brain. You need to, you know, do things like read big books, okay? Uh, watch a movie or a TV show without scrolling through your phone at the same time. Um, try to focus on doing just one thing at a time. Like I, 
I say that because um, I, I see sometimes people who make movies or TV shows, they'll do interviews and they kind of complain about how nobody really pays attention to, to their art anymore. You know, someone makes a movie and they say, but people don't pay attention to the movie. They, they scroll through their phone the whole time while they're watching the movie. And then they complain that they didn't understand the movie or that the stuff in it didn't make sense. The plot didn't make sense to them. But they also were only paying half attention during the whole time. So, you know, this is like something that movie directors get a little bit sick of and, and upset about. Um, and and frankly, I you know, I, I'm not trying to say there's a wrong way to watch movies, but I do think it's kind of a if you can, if you can't just sit and watch a movie, if you have to keep constantly keep yourself entertained like a, with a second screen, that's what it's called second screening it. If you have to do that, it is rewiring your brain to not be able to focus as well. It's kind of like, I don't know if we'd call it ADHD, but it's kind of like just training your brain to have ADHD. Um, so uh, one thing I kind of like doing is watching a movie or a show on my phone. Because if I'm doing that, then I can't do something else with my phone while I'm watching it. Like I'm forced to just sit there and watch the movie, you know, or whatever. Uh, and I so I've, it's, it's just to do one thing at a time. I think it's good if we fo- force ourselves to do one thing at a time and not try to just scatter our focus among a bunch of different stuff. And that's what a lot of these apps are doing. They're messing with our the wiring of our brains. They're scattering our focus. I'm afraid that cell phone usage has really messed up a whole generation of brains. Like, I feel like it happens to me too. There's times where I feel my concentration slipping, and what I have to start doing is just put the phone down and discipline myself. Um, and, and I say ruined a generation of brains, or I say like it's messed up doesn't make it a permanent thing. Our brains adjust so much better than we think that they can. Um, so the bad news is that they can get messed up easily. But the good news is you can also fix them pretty easily. But if you don't approach this problem at its source, it'll never get fixed. Uh, so, and, and the source, what I'm saying, the source a lot of times is just the cell phone. Uh, maybe addiction is not the best word. Um, it could be a good word to use. But just the constant like need to keep yourself entertained. It's not the cell phone addiction. It's the it's the I need the constant entertainment addiction. That's the problem. So trying to do just focusing on one thing at a time, I think it'll help because the young people have a lot of issues right now. Uh, I I took a group of teenagers from my church to a Christian music concert a few months ago. Uh, we saw Skillet. We saw some other groups. And, and so anyway, in prep, preparing to go to this concert, like I, one kid, I remember one teenager says, oh, I can't go because I'll get um, e- epileptic seizures, you know, and I won't be able to, there's a lot of flashing lights and stuff like that at the concert. So one girl's like, you know, I can't even go, which I said, that's fine. You know, if that's a problem, just don't go. And then we're waiting in line at the concert and I, and I look over and there's this other, there's this one boy and he's shaking and I, it was a little bit chilly. So I was like, oh, are you cold? Do you need some gloves? Do you need a jacket? He says, oh, I'm not shaking because of the cold. It's my anxiety. And and all we're doing is standing in line. But he's talking about how he has anxiety and he's like, he's all jittery, like he's shivering. But he says it's his anxiety. He's not even cold. Then we're actually watching the show. And one girl who was there during one of the, one of the shows that was going, she starts like flipping out and having a panic attack. And so she had to, we had to take her outside into the hall and let her stay out there for like an hour and I told her she could stay out there the rest of the time, but she she wanted to come back in after an hour or so. But anyway, she said just all the music and loud noise of the concert overwhelmed her, and she had an, literally had an anxiety attack. 
someone who is always pretty well composed and um and, and sober minded before but she has like an anxiety attack at the concert and then as we're getting ready to leave there's a t- totally different boyfriend before there's this other boy and he we're getting ready to leave we're walking out into the hall to leave this concert and he just like collapses on the ground in the fetal position and i'm like what is going on and he said he had claustrophobic anxiety and it was like when he walked out in the hall and there's this big crowd of people it just overwhelmed him and he literally and this was a boy who in you know 99% of the time totally sober minded um seems confident and all that but he just collapsed into a puddle and his voice is all shaky <laughs> so i'm not saying he's faking it i think these problems are real i don't i'm i at, you know at first i was like are are they just copying what another kid did but no i don't think so I, I think these were all real, like outbursts or anxiety attacks, whatever you want to call them. It was real. I'm just saying it's not natural. It's not natural that young people have all these problems. And lots of teenagers I see nowadays, they're, they're, a lot of them are taking medication. A lot of them are seeing therapists. Like, a lot more than what was normal when I was a teenager. And why is that? Well, I think it's because we're in the TikTok generation. And these apps and social medias... They're causing a lot of problems. All right, let's go into another story. Um, So like Iowa, Utah is a pretty solidly red state. It's just one of those states, I think it's gone... I think it's voted for the Republican for president like for 50 years or something like that. It's like a really solidly red state. Okay, so Utah Governor Spencer Cox, he recently vetoed a bill that would have prevented transgender students from competing with students of the opposite biological sex. And he says it was wrong. It's wrong to discriminate against transgender students. He considers himself an ally of the transgender community. And this is a Republican governor of one of the reddest states in the country. But lately... He's been really acting, I guess what you'd call woke. He's been introducing himself with his preferred pronouns. Well, I thank you so much, uh, Gabby, for that that question. Um, and uh, my preferred pronouns are he, him, and his. Uh, so, so thank you for sharing yours with me. So like I said, really bizarre that such a red state Republican governor is doing this. It, it is bizarre until we get a little more background here in a second, but... Um, one reason, though, that Utah is so consistently Republican is because of its Mormon population. This was Mitt Romney's state, uh, Mike Lee's state. A lot of prominent Mormons come from here. They tend to vote similarly to Christians, and Christians tend to vote similarly to Republican interests. So to see a Republican governor over there, Spencer Cox, behaving like a woke leftist, it's a little strange. But I do want to explain a little bit of the history of the Mormon church and how it changes over time. There's a lot of uh, Mormon influence that is socially, I don't know if I'd say socially liberal, I'd say socially flexible. Um, See, the the Mormons do have biblical texts, but they also believe that God continues to speak and overrule his past statements over time. For example, Mormonism was founded in the early 1800s, back when slavery was still legal in America. And it was founded on this belief that black people were cursed in the book of Genesis— so that they were to always remain in servitude. That was one of the foundational Mormon beliefs back when slavery was more popular and Mormonism itself was founded. 
Now, as time went on, slavery kind of went out of style. And, you know, we had a whole civil war situation brewing about all that back in the in the mid 1800s. So Mormons, to stay with the times, they had to change with the times. Joseph Smith declared in 1844 that slavery must come to an end. He was the founder of Mormonism, and he declared that slavery, although before black people were cursed just a few years ago, now they need to change with the times. <laughs> now, even though they did get on board with anti with abolition, you know, they didn't begin ordaining black ministers in Mormonism until 1978. Okay, and that was even after the civil rights movement in America. So they were a little slower to change on that one. But how did they change? Well, a Mormon apostle stood up in 1978 at one of their meetings and declared that God had given new rules for black people, that now they can become ordained Mormons. And that he said, it doesn't matter what anyone said prior to 1978, basically that God had changed his mind. This is what Mormons do when one of their beliefs is getting out of style. Like originally they were pro-polygamy. That was a religious right to them, was to be pro-polygamy back when Joseph Smith founded Mormonism. But then later on it turned out that polygamy was going to prevent Utah from being accepted as a state. So they dropped it. They dropped it like a hot potato, like <laughs> like news media finding out there's a black supremacist in the story, dropped it, dropped it like it's hot. And they, they became... Um, so Mormonism has been going through another shift lately to where they're becoming more accepting of the LGBT crowd. And we saw a big shift back in April 2019. Um, they put out a statement, the Latter-day Saints Church, that's the Mormon church. They put out a statement saying that the church is no longer going to characterize same-gender marriage as apostasy and something that would be apostasy for church discipline. They also said the changes reflect the continuing revelation— that has been part of the modern church since the restoration. So Mormons believe in continuing revelation. They believe that God changes his mind. And so then they just give these new declarations of what their new positions on stuff is. And so since since the society has accepted LGBT um, lifestyles so much in America, uh, the Mormons know that that's not going away. I mean, I you know, for however long America is a country, I don't think that's going away. So the Mormons realize that, and they're shifting their religious positions on that to get with the times. And um, they, they just follow which way the waves, the winds of culture are blowing. All they, they need to do that, all they need to justify that is for a prophet to stand up and say that God has changed his mind. And then away they go. So if you understand the history of conservatives, the Utah governor's move is shocking. But if you understand the history of Mormonism, it's actually kind of predictable that <laughs> they would change after a few years. So um, that's what's going on. I think that I think that would explain what's going on with the Utah governor over there. That I think the Mormon Church is trying to make a shift into being more uh, like embracing LGBT lifestyles. Uh, okay, few other stories before we go today. Um, one, some good news: the Republican National Committee is going to quit the Commission on Presidential Debates. They're pulling out of these stupid debates that they do, uh, you know, during election years, during presidential election years. And the news about this is really skewed because if you read it from a liberal news source, it's talking about how Republicans are basically trying to destroy our democracy but are, by not participating in the debates. And I like the debates, but let me explain why it's good that Republicans are, are actually putting their foot down and backing away from them. 
So from NPR, it says, Republicans say they're quitting the biased commission on presidential debates. And the story goes, in 1987, the Commission on Presidential Debates was established jointly by the Democratic and Republican parties to ensure that debates between the leading candidates for the President of the United States were a permanent part of the electoral process. Now, the Republican National Committee has voted unanimously to leave the CPD, ending more than three decades of bipartisan civic cooperation. That was the least biased take I could find on this, okay? Um, They're trying to act like the you know, the Republicans are are no longer wanting to be bipartisan. But the problem, okay, the problem is that the Commission on Presidential Debates is itself very partisan. It's not a bipartisan commission. The whole thing is made up of Democrats. The CPD has not been fair for years. One way that they have been unfair is that they consistently select Democrat moderators for the debates. And these moderators, they have a tendency to skew the debates in favor of the Democratic candidate. Um, When I say tendency, they always try to skew it for the Democratic candidate. One of the most egregious examples of this was back in 2012. Debate debate moderator Candy Crowley was supposed to be policing the debate one night between Mitt Romney and Barack Obama. I think it was the first debate that year. I'm not sure. I remember watching it. So Romney made the point that when the 2012 Benghazi attack happened, that Obama did not initially call that an act of terror. Obama insisted that he did. So the moderator, Candy Crowley, she jumped into the fray to defend Obama. I, I think it's interesting. The president just said something, which, which is that on the day after the attack, he went to the Rose Garden and said that this was an act of terror. You said in the Rose Garden, the day after the attack, it was an act of terror. It was not a spontaneous demonstration. Is that what you're saying? Please proceed, Governor. I, I, I want to make sure we get that for the record, because it took the president 14 days before he called the attack in Benghazi an act of terror. Get the transcript. It, 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 he did, in, in fact, sir. So let me, let me call it an act of Can terror. Can you say that a little louder, Candy? He, he did call it an act of terror. Well, here's the problem with what she said. Obama was lying. Romney was right. She was wrong. Okay. But here's what happens in these debates. The Republican candidate consistently ends up arguing with two opponents. He's arguing with the Democrat and he's arguing with the moderator. (laughs) The moderators just keep trying to help the Democrats. Uh, It gets so frustrating. I remember when Candy Crowley did it that night and my blood was boiling watching that. I was not a Mitt Romney fan. I didn't even vote for him that year. I didn't vote for Obama either, but I did not vote for Mitt Romney that year. I could not stand Romney. I still can't. <laughs> He's only gotten worse. But but I it still made my blood boil to watch how the debate moderator, who's supposed to be unbiased and stay out of it, how she jumped in and helped Obama to lie that night. And the moderators are always trying to help the Democrats. That when Trump would start to make a good point about Joe Biden in a debate, the moderator would, you know, the moderator would be like, "We need to move along now. We don't have time to talk about that. That's not what we're here to talk about tonight." First of all, I guess I'm debating you, not him, but that's okay. I'm not surprised. Let me just tell you something. That <laughs> so here's the problem with these debates: almost all of the moderators that are picked for these debates, they're left-leaning moderators. Um, the commission itself, like I mentioned, it's just made up of leftist liberals. They don't even pretend that they're trying to be fair anymore. All the debate moderators in 2012, in 2016, in 2020. They were all Democrats. Now, I do know Chris Wallace was picked for a couple of those, and he's a Fox News host, 
But he's also a registered Democrat. You can look that up. And he's on CNN now, where Republicans are not even allowed. Okay, If somebody with a MAGA hat would even try to go live on air at CNN, they would set the stage ablaze and they will melt you to the bone, leaving nothing behind but a charred corpse and a few torn remnants of the American flag. And nobody would even catch them doing that because it would happen live on the air at CNN. And I'll say this, it's not just the moderators that are skewed. The topics that they pick for these debates are clearly just topics that will benefit the Democrat candidate. If you look at what was picked last time um, when when Joe Biden and, and Donald Trump were doing their debates, each debate would have like six topics listed. And in the second debate, a lot of the topics were just the same things discussed in the first debate. Um, they just pick things that are going to help the Democrat and, and things that would not help the Republican to look good. Like for all of my life, um, foreign policy, that was a major debate topic. For all my life and all the debates I've seen, uh, there would usually be one debate that would just be about foreign policy. It was usually the most boring debate, but there would always be one debate that was just about foreign policy. Foreign policy is considered 50% of a presidential candidate's job. And they would often debate a whole, they would often use a whole debate just devoted to foreign policy issues. Well, in 2020, they had two debates, six topics for each debate. Not once, not once did foreign policy ever come up as a debate topic. It was never even discussed. Why was it not discussed in the debates that year? Because that was Donald Trump's strongest area. He was doing so well in that arena. And it was probably Joe Biden's weakest area (laughs) where he's been on the wrong side of every foreign policy decision both before and after he was president. when Just think back to when Obama was president, okay? We were worried about ISIS. We were worried about North Korea. We were worried about Russia, okay? Then Trump became president, and Russia stayed in Russia. He got North Korea to settle down. He got totally rid of ISIS. And so those things were not problems anymore. And so everybody just stopped talking about them. But that's also why we needed to talk about them. Because Democrats always made those problems worse, and Trump's administration made all those things better. So since Trump did so good on those topics, the Commission on Presidential Debates just decided not to even address them at the debates. Like, when Trump was concluding his presidency, he had multiple peace deals going on in the Middle East. But the Commission on Presidential Debates just decided that's not something worth talking about. They only selected topics that helped Joe Biden and totally ignored foreign policy. So I'm actually, for once, I'm proud of the Republicans for putting their foot down and refusing to participate in these stupid debates until they can be fair again. I am 100% in favor of the debates. I'm going to miss them if they don't happen, but I would rather have no debates than to continue to participate in these skewed debates that are only designed to help Democrats. I would, you know, I think in the long run, my prediction is that the debates will be back. I think they will have them again in 2024. But I think there's going to be some changes, and it's because the Republicans are putting their foot down and forcing the changes. And they better not give up on this. I'm glad they're putting their foot down now and saying we need to see some fairness come back to these debates if we're going to keep doing it. Because it's better for our democracy in the long run if Republicans will stop pretending that it's worth participating in skewed debates just for the good of the country. That is good in the short term. It's bad for us in the long term. And it's better if they just stop pretending.
Before I close down later, I do want to mention this here. If you want to get in touch with Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast, you can send us an email to fierybutpeaceful at gmail.com. If you see some fake news, send it our way. Whoever gets it to us first will get credit for it. And also to stay in touch throughout the week, we're on Twitter at Fake News Weekly. And I'll just mention this. If you like Bible studies or if you just really dig the sound of my voice, I do have another podcast. It's called Cross References. This has nothing to do with news or current events, but it's what I consider my main podcast. It has new episodes on Mondays. Uh, Just go look up Cross References on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get this podcast. You can also find my other one. Um, Before we get into the Beyond the Headlines segment for today, I just want to mention something about Hunter Biden. Uh, The past few weeks, we've seen some news stories coming out that are confirming the Hunter Biden laptop story that that the news media spiked back in 2020. So back then, the news media and social media collaborated to squash this story that came out about Hunter Biden's laptop being discovered. And there was all this incriminating evidence on it about his father, Joe Biden, that was found on the laptop. It made claims that the Bidens were using their name to cash in on deals around the world in various countries like Ukraine, which is a hotbed of corruption, as well as over in China, which the Biden administration has always been friendly to China. Um, And this was a weak spot for Biden in the months leading up to the election. Whenever somebody would question him about what Hunter Biden was doing, you know, what was he doing on the board of a gas company in Ukraine when He's a jobless drug addict. <laughs> he has no executive experience. Why is it, What's he doing on the board over there? And Joe Biden would just lose it. He'd start yelling and cussing if people would ask him this stuff. Even reporters, even Democratic voters, he could not stand to be questioned about what his son was up to. So it was clearly a weak spot for him. One of my favorite moments was when he lost his temper at this one campaign event. This was before the primaries happened. And he called a guy fat and challenged him to a push-up contest when the guy was asking him about Hunter Biden. I've been around a long time, and I know more than most people know. And I can get things done. That's why I'm running. And you want to check my shape on, let's do push-ups together, man. Let's, do, let's run. Let's do whatever you want to do. Number two, number two. No one has said my son has done anything wrong, and I did not on any occasion. And no one has ever said it. Not I didn't once. say you were doing anything wrong. I you said, said I set up my son to work in an oil company. Isn't that what you said? I Get your work straight, Jack. That's what I we hear on the on MSNBC. You don't hear that in MSNBC. No, no, you did not hear that. But you heard. No, Look, you okay, I'm not going to get an argument with you, man. No, no, I don't want to. Well, yeah, you do, but uh, <laughs> but look, fat. Look, here's the deal. Here's the deal. It, it, looks, it looks like you, you don't have any more backbone than Trump does. Oh. Oh. Any other questions? Yeah, all right. I'm not voting for you. Well, I knew you weren't, man. You think I thought you'd stand up and vote for me? You're too old to vote for me. <laughs> all right, here we go. That guy, that guy was a Democrat voter, okay? He was inclined to vote for Joe Biden. He just had this legitimate question about what Hunter Biden was up to. And Biden could not handle it. And he's like, my favorite part's when he says, look fat. (laughs) What was he going to say right there? Was he going to say fatso or something? Or fatty? or The guy was a little bit large. It wasn't. Anyway. um, But (laughs) he asked the guy if he wanted to do a push-up contest. What was Joe Biden? You know, if you watch the video, he says, look fat. 
And then he's like stops himself and starts to say something else. You like he you could tell he caught himself, but he's back then you could tell he was losing his mind. He he was about to say something he was gonna regret. I think he did say some stuff he regretted or should. Should regret. But anyway, at the end there he says the guy is is too old to vote for Biden. It's like, what does that even mean? Well, um, if you remember, back at the end of the 2020 election, the news media totally spiked that story about Hunter Biden's laptop. Like they literally locked the New York Post out of its account for a little while. And uh, on Twitter, they locked the New York Post. Twitter and Facebook said you aren't, you know, they would stop you from sharing the article that was talking about Hunter Biden's laptop that was discovered because they didn't want it to skew that in Joe Biden's favor right there towards the end of the election. They didn't want an October surprise. So they they just stopped that news from being shared. This is what they said. They said, well, it looks like Russian disinformation. They would you know interview some U.S. official and the U.S. official would say, it has all the hallmarks of Russian disinformation. Well, that was a real sly little trick that they pulled. They said it looks like Russian. They didn't say it was Russian disinformation. They knew it wasn't really Russian disinformation, but they couldn't say it wasn't. They couldn't lie. So this is what they said. It looks like Russian disinformation. So technically, you can't say that they were lying because they didn't claim it was Russian disinformation. All they said was that it looks like Russian disinformation. And so they used that sly little trick to keep anybody from talking about Hunter Biden's laptop. And they kept it under wraps until now. Now the truth is finally coming out. So I'm just kind of throwing this out there. We need to keep our eye on this. There could be something big that's about to break. I'm not claiming there's some big thing about to break. Some people are like, oh yeah, big revelations are coming. Maybe, maybe not. But one reason I think maybe that they are is that the news media all of a sudden is happy to talk about what Hunter Biden was up to. They're starting to leak some emails here where Hunter Biden said stuff like, you know, he's emailing his family asking them to go in on business deals together and says, I won't be like dad and take half your salary if you help me. So, so there's like some news that might be about to break on this. And and now the media is trying to get out ahead of it and, you know, and pretend that they were always covering the Hunter Biden scandal. Well, we know that's not true, but, the, but why are they suspiciously talking about it now? Let's just keep our eye on this. Okay. There could be, there could be something else that comes out on that. So and, and it, it might be so big that Twitter can't shut it down. This, this is part of why Elon Musk is trying to buy Twitter, because they are so corrupt that they are shutting down news stories that make the Democrats look bad. And, and that's another reason I hope he does actually buy it and bring them under control. So let's go on now to Beyond the Headline. So this week's Beyond the Headline comes from MSNBC. They tweeted out, the far right's obsession with fitness is going digital. Pandemic fitness trends have gone extreme, literally. White supremacists' latest scheme to valorize violence and hypermasculinity has gone digital. So I could have put this under everything is racist, but I thought it kind of deserved its own segment. So the story is, let me just read the beginning of the story. It appears the far right has taken advantage of pandemic at-home fitness trends (laughs) to expand it's decade-plus radicalization of mixed martial arts and combat sports spaces. All right. So it's an article about how the far right is engaging in a lot of personal fitness and using at-home personal fitness stuff. So uh, just notice here on some lingo that they used, spaces. This is something I've noticed of how the left likes to categorize things. 
When you see someone using the word spaces, a lot of time that reflects this leftist segregationist mindset that communities all need their own spaces. Now it can be physical, okay? We're like a certain location where only like-minded people can, can and only like-minded people where they can meet together, okay? A safe space for them. Sometimes they use this to refer to digital spaces, like an online community. Only people who like the same thing or believe the same thing are allowed in this online community. They use the word space a lot. It's just kind of a lefty word. So, plus this is from MSNBC. That's another clue that this is this is a lefty thing. Um, but this columnist is Cynthia Miller Idris. She believes that the far right has taken over the so-called spaces that used to be for everybody. Spaces like healthcare and fitness. So it says earlier this month, researchers reported that a network of online fa fascist fitness chat groups on the online on the encrypted platform Telegram are recruiting and radicalizing young men with neo-Nazi and white supremacist extremist ideologies. Initially lured with health tips and strategies for... <laughs> it's just funny. Lured. People, people were lured into these neo-Nazi groups with health tips. So it says, initially lured with health tips and strategies for positive physical changes, new recruits are later invited to closed chat groups where far-right content is shared. Now, when I read this, I don't know if it's actual neo-Nazi stuff that's going on in these chat groups or if this is just a left-wing smear. Because, you know, in 2022, everybody who's right of center has been called a neo-Nazi. They've been called it so much that it, that phrase doesn't even have a meaning anymore. And they only use it because the term racist no longer has any meaning. By the time Donald Trump became president, the left had called everything racist so much Nobody cared anymore. So they started using these more exaggerated terms like white supremacist, neo-Nazi. They would do that to try to make the, you know, Donald Trump's ideas sound even more extreme. They'd say he's he's hiring a white supremacist so-and-so to his administration. But a lot of times you look into these things that are supposedly neo-Nazi and they just look like pretty ordinary everyday stuff. Okay? Like, like this article, for example, talking about personal fitness. It's trying to make the case that white supremacists are really, um, really into personal fitness, physical fitness. So they say that if you care about physical fitness, you're being like a white supremacist. Seriously, this is what it says in the, uh, the article. This is my favorite paragraph. Physical fitness has always been central to the far right. In Mein Kampf, <laughs> Hitler fixated on boxing and jujitsu, believing that they could help him create an army of millions whose aggressive spirit and impeccably trained bodies, combined with fanatical love of the fatherland, would do more for the German nation than any mediocre tactical weapons training. So three paragraphs into this article, and we're already going to Hitler. We're already going to Mein Kampf. <laughs> that's why these terms, like calling stuff neo-Nazi, they have no meaning anymore, because the left applies them to everything. They inject Hitler into every single discussion about something that they don't like. It's it's anti-intellectual. It really is. It's lazy. Like they can't explain why fitness is intrinsically wrong or intrinsically racist. So they talk instead about how it was important to Hitler. And they pretend that, you know, by doing that, that they've made some important point. So, of course, the article has to say later at the end of the article, it says fitness, of course, is a staple and hobby for many people for whom it is enjoyable and rewarding for brain health. 
and overall well-being. Physical fitness channels dopamine, adrenaline, and serotonin in ways that literally feel good. Intertwining those feelings with hateful and dehumanizing ideas <laughs> while promoting the concept that physical warriors are needed to create the strength and dominance to defend one's people from a perceived enemy makes for a dangerous and powerful cocktail of radicalization. Well, this is the paragraph they have to include. It was just one sentence, really, almost at the end of the piece, where they say, you know, it is a good reason to work out. As long as you don't think it's necessary to work out in order to participate in a race war. <laughs> so, you know, in other words, the reason more than 99% of people work out, it's still a good reason. As long as you aren't doing it for genocidal reasons. <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, it's, it's part of the trick that the left is always doing where they want to pretend that far-right white supremacy, where it's some kind of actual threat right now in the country, where it's something that you, you know, that you seriously need to be concerned about. That's why the FBI is always trying to drum up fear about it. You know, despite the fact that we've had literal Muslim terrorists and black supremacist attacks in the country this year, including dozens of people shot just this week, they want us to worry about whether the guy next to you at Planet Fitness is actually training for the KKK. Like, that's the fear they want you to be concerned about. And they've kind of been sowing the seeds about this for literally for years now. Um, we've seen the past couple of years, there's been this discouragement of fat phobia or fat shaming, uh, which when you make people feel bad about being overweight. So, they, they, but their solution is to normalize fatness and affirm fatness. Now, I mean, I'm not trying to hate on people for having some extra pounds. You know, I don't even really care what someone else wants to do with their life. But the, but the left has to go to this other extreme to where they don't want to make anyone feel bad. So they actually try to push fatness and pretend that it's this, that they pretend that it's a healthy lifestyle. Um, you actually see overweight people now on the covers of um, magazines. You see, I would say, grotesquely overweight people on billboards for lingerie even nowadays. Because the left has decided to go so far in the other direction from shaming them that they actually want to promote obesity, frankly, is the way to say it. So I remember when the Avengers movie came out, the one called Endgame, came out a few years ago. And there's a character in it, the, the superhero Thor, and he got really overweight in that movie. I mean, it was the actor was wearing a suit. But, I mean, it looks very realistic in the movie. So prior to that movie's release, Thor had always been like the most chiseled and buff superhero out of all of them. And the purpose of his weight gain in the movie, it was to show that he had kind of like given up on life and he was depressed and he was dealing with his grief in an unhealthy way. And I remember when that movie came out, the, the left had some really strange reactions to that in the interviews that I read or the reviews that I read. One, you know, one reaction I saw a lot was people were celebrating the decision to have a fat superhero saying that this like embraces fatness as a legitimate lifestyle. And I was like, no, that's not, <laughs> that's not the message the movie was conveying by having that. And then there were other reviewers. They were upset because they said the movie had used fat Thor as the butt of a lot of jokes. And so they were upset about the fat shaming. So, you know, you can never please the left. They're always fine. No matter what you do, they'll always find a way to complain about it. But Fat Thor wasn't even trying to do either of those things. They were trying to show how a character processed grief. It wasn't making some kind of defense of obesity. But, um, and I'm sure in the next movie, he's going to be back to his normal size. But anyway, articles like this, they, they show, though, an intersection in the left. 
um, a, a different kind of intersection. They show an intersection of how the left operates. Um, so there's four important aspects here I want to highlight from the article. And first, though, is this just this whole thing of tying everything into white supremacy. Like I said, it's so anti-intellectual. It makes you dumber to actually think that way. The, the second thing that I think this article shows is this idea of spaces. The left has a segregationist mindset. They're the ones who think there should be black schools, black colleges, black neighborhoods. That's not a right-wing thing. That's a left-wing thing. The third is their intersectional category, um, their new intersectional category. So intersectionality, that's whenever somebody who's in a minority class, okay, like being a racial minority, being LGBT, being female, having a disability, so on. The left says that if you're in one of those categories that you need to be in their club. Um, that's their intersectional coalition. They say if you are one of those things that Republicans hate you and that we want you in our camp. And, and now they're trying to squeeze fat people into that camp too. And the fourth aspect, and the one that I love the most about this story, it just shows again how the left destroys itself by hating anything that Republicans like. Okay, even if that is fitness, if that is fitness, then the left will embrace fatness. They will embrace and defend obesity, which is one of the leading contributors to death in this country. And they will claim it as a badge of pride and honor. There was this fat, uh, I mean, that's, that's their words that they use. There was this fat uh, supermodel, okay? <laughs> Super size model is more like it. She, 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 her name is Tess Holiday, I think. And she's this overweight model who's always modeling clothes and stuff like that. And there was pictures they were sharing around, video of her going around in a thong. I mean, it should be literally public indecency. She's walking around in public in a thong. And the left tries to pretend that that's something sexy and beautiful. Okay, no joke. That was going on last week. Thankfully, this is an audio podcast, so we don't have to show you proof of that. <laughs> but, but anyway, um, they'll claim it as a badge of pride and honor. When COVID hit, early on, it was obvious that there were two major contributing factors to whether you would die from COVID. One of them was weight. Overweight people were just at increased risk to COVID-19. And the second huge factor was age, that older people were dying a lot more than younger people. Uh, did the news media make that clear? No, they were pointing to all kinds of other factors to make you afraid of COVID. They wanted to put masks on toddlers and elementary school children. They still do to this day. Uh, earlier this year, Democratic candidate Stacey Abrams, she's running for governor, representing the state of Dairy Queen. She proudly posed for a photo with elementary school kids. It was a publicity stunt. She read a story to children that she had written, and then she made all of them wear masks while she sat proudly in front of them unmasked. And yet, of all the people in that photo, if we actually cared about science and medical data, the only one who needed a mask or needed protection from COVID was Abrams herself because of her weight and her age. And it was totally pointless for the kids to be wearing them. But the pro-science left would not point that out. They barely acknowledged the weight-related risks with COVID through the whole pandemic. They want to pretend that it's this great threat for everybody, that you never know who's going to pass away from it that I need a face mask when I go to the gym, while Stacey Abrams needs no face mask to do meet and greets. And Democrats have never cared about health. It's about getting elected. If they can win election by convincing overweight people to never change, 
That is a strategy that they will embrace as far as they can get their arms around it. And it worries me because if Democrats can succeed in getting women, LGBT, and fat people in their intersectional team, we'll probably never get Rosie O'Donnell back. They, they might just have to keep her. And it's an interesting electoral strategy, I'll admit. According to singlecare.com, more than 71% of the country is considered overweight. About 40% is considered obese. So if the left can succeed in convincing everyone that they're on the side of overweight people, that's a huge gain for them. It would tip the scales in their direction for many elections to come. Well, thanks for listening to Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast. This has been Luke Taylor reminding you that if you hear that crickets are good luck, that's just fake news. Okay.